What is the emotional freedom technique and how can it help you and your mental health? Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Scott Fox joins the podcast today, and Scott is a mental health and sports performance coach, and his goal is to help you feel better and play better right now. He is also the CEO and founder of the Champion Playbook. And in this conversation, we touch on youth sports, mental health in sports, what can we do to enhance the overall well-being of our athletes, and what needs to change around the culture of sports and our mental health. But in other news, this conversation is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products literally every single day. So go ahead, click the link in the show notes, scroll through every single one of their products, and find the ones that fit you and your wellness needs. Then once you get to checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 207 with Scott Fox. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashvitz. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Aaron. I love being here. Yeah, man, pumped to talk to you again. Um, I got a lot of questions to ask you. I feel like we're very like-minded individuals, so I'm excited to hear your your insights on all of these things. Um, But before we roll into that, my first question is, how are you doing? Like, actually, (laughs) how are you doing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I'm a little low energy today, and that happens. And I think that the change of the clocks, the change of the season, all of that, and life stressors, uh, yeah, I feel it. And, you know, I want to be open about that because people think, oh, if you're in this business of, you know, resilience and mental health and sport performance, you're perfect. No, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> that's very true. I was I was talking to a group of teachers yesterday and um it's very rare that the people that are helping the people that we care about most like our kids get asked how they're doing like the practitioners or the coaches or the therapists or whoever it is whoever's at the top sort of trying to give this valuable information to our children we rarely think about their mental health or their state of being and Ultimately, it's it's the most important thing because they're the sort of they're the role model. They're the person giving the information. So if they can embody these traits that we wish to pass on to our children, um, that's really important. And if they can be open and honest, like because we all know that every day we don't feel our best, but we give our best regardless because that's what we have in the tank. And being honest about that, I think, is is extremely important. Well, it is. And I remember two things on that. First off, from our baseball, you know, connection here. Uh, I played baseball in college for the listeners who don't know me. And I love the sport and I love just athletes in in general. And I remember reading something by that Nolan Ryan said. So this is, you know, greatest pitcher of all time, perhaps. And he said, um, of 10 outings, uh, you know, just any 10 outings, he's like, maybe two of those, I will feel really good. <laughs> the rest of it, he's got to go out there and do the best you can with what you got there. 
and I don't know what coping skills he had or what what tools he was using. And then uh, fl- flipping over though to the to the teachers, I in my efforts to try to bring some really cool tools into public public school systems, I did a little research. I was looking for data. Sure enough, you know, lots of things have been studied, and it's very very clear that when teachers are stressed um, to their limits, the kids in the classroom don't learn very well. Mm. You know, they're just it's it's really very very clear. So it's really 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 important for our our people who are in front of our kids to be supported and given some tools to really just get through this this journey of life as we call it absolutely i mean i've shared this example before but um it makes sense for this conversation and you'll appreciate it right if you have a baseball coach who's coaching a 12 13 year old team and something in the field happens an error a mistake whatever and the words coming out of his mouth are like, hey, it's all right. But he fuck, he grabs the bucket of baseballs and throws it into the dugout, <clears throat> right? And then the inning turns over and maybe his kid has a bat at bat and he comes back into the dugout and he throws his bat. And the coach get mad, mad at him for throwing his bat. Hey, why'd you throw your bat? And then maybe he's at home with his mom and, you know, she tells him to do some chores. And he's like, I don't want to. And he yells and he screams and he throws his, you know, whatever. It's like, where are you learning all this information? Where are you learning this stuff? Well, my coach is my role model and that's what he's presenting. And he's telling me one thing, but he's showing me another. And that's really what's important. Like, what are the actions that you're showing to embody the traits that you wish your kids to portray? And I always learned that from baseball. And thankfully, I had amazing coaches who who showed me how to be a man, how to handle my emotions, how to do those things. And so I think that's really important uh, in regards to coaches and teachers and all that stuff that, you know, we just talked about. Well, definitely. Thank you for bringing that up. It, a couple things came to mind, and we'll just roll with this, is, um, you know, there is the actions, and then there is our actions that are really reflective of what's truly in the heart or the DNA or whatever we want to call it, the core spirit of the person and my point to there is that kids are and animals can sniff out a fake right pretty easily mm-hmm. and so even if one is doing like you say they're saying the right words even if they're kind of doing maybe quote the right thing it's more effective for everybody and more genuine and more alignment if if uh you know that inner core really is has been worked on i'll say somebody who's done some work I I was just at a uh, an event for the American Baseball Coaches Association uh, as an attendee here in the D.C. area. I live outside Washington, D.C., and it was at the University of Maryland. And I'm just going to give a plug here for their head coach, Matt Swope. Uh, Matt's first-year head coach there, but he's been in, in, with Maryland for many years as an assistant. And as soon as he, I just saw the guy, and he started to speak within five seconds, I was like, I this guy's different. I love this guy. There's something about him. And I just kept listening and he presented things that were outside of the norm of traditional baseball coaching uh, at a high level, any level. And that was a, a breath of fresh air. And so the combination of, you know, his demeanor plus his, his topic just led me to um, speak to him later. 
And I, I just, I said, I hope this, I'm not, I don't think I'm saying anything out of turn here. I just said, I, I feel like you've worked on yourself because you're uncommon here. You know, you're so genuine and you're loving. And uh, I spoke to some of his players, um, at least one of them. <laughs> and they truly love this man. And it's because he loves them. And so everything that he says just comes out as um, what it is, authentic. So again, for all of us out here, man, being a human, not easy. <laughs> and uh, if we can learn the games, of the, the rules of the game a little bit, though, and work on our inner selves, uh, I think it does become easier. And um, I'll leave it at that. I got goosebumps from you. Uh, sharing that story about that coach just now because I, I mean, it's just so powerful what one coach or one person can do for the whole trajectory of just one person's life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like you can't actually put it into words. And uh, so that's super powerful and pumped for Maryland. Hopefully they they do great things for uh yeah, I'm, for college I'm making baseball. a prediction, you know, uh final four world series. I no pressure coach Swope, but um, <laughs> that's what I see here. <laughs> heck yeah, heck yeah. But um I do I do want to ask you about baseball. Um since that's sort of where both of us got our chops. I mean, that's where I learned everything about life. That's where I learned how to become, you know, a man. Um and so maybe this is a hard question to distill it into a short version, but you know what did baseball teach you and and what do you what do you hope that the young people that are maybe in sports today can learn and take into life yeah wow that's a good one you know baseball um kind of propelled me in a long trajectory um and that's the the benefit of getting older is we can look back and start to see it a little more clearly with through a lens that maybe more focused in a different, just a different paradigm, which is more spirit level, more bigger picture. And so my story in baseball that really helped me get going and what I do now is one of mm, disappointment, really, which is that I wanted to be a professional player and I didn't get there. Um, it wasn't because of a lack of physical skills or physical body, et cetera. And I always make the joke, I don't look like it today, but I was, you know, I was a strong, fast guy on the field and um, I would be scouted and people would say, wow, okay, keep your eye on Fox. They'd come back. Oh no, rip, a, rip it up. He's not, you know, he's not the guy. And it would be because of a, la a lack of consistency. Mm -hmm. And so the consistency was a function of the mental and emotional side of me. And back in, you know, the eighties when I was playing, there was nobody talking like that. You know, you know, Steve Carlton, maybe in the corner of the dugout meditating would be the only guy who was overtly addressing mental health issues. Um, and I didn't say that I was diagnosed with anything. I just wasn't uh, consistent because of the, and then we can fill in the blank. I don't know. Lack of resiliency, understanding, awareness, right actions, coping skills, et cetera. And so roll the clock forward. As my kids got to the age of Little League, and my daughter was one of those great girls who you know, would play with the boys, I was going to be her coach and coach of the rest of the team. 
and just thought, well, what what could I deliver? I know I can deliver the game piece. I've been, you know, played and coached and do all sorts of stuff. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to dive into the the mental and emotional stuff. And that really got me going. So again, what did baseball teach me? Well, it kind of launched me. You know, it's that it's that yin yang sign of the black and the white, you know, wrapped together. And they both need each other. So the failure, the success, and, you know, all these two sides of the same stick that we go through life with, uh, that was a huge part of my life and still continues to be. And beyond that, uh, you know, kind of more on a practical level, or not practical, but um, classic level, one of the proudest things of my baseball career did teach me a great lesson. And the proud thing was when I got to college, I was realized that I couldn't really throw like a college catcher. You know, I just didn't have the arm, the skills or whatever it may be. And so I was fortunate enough to get exposed to um, a couple of people. One was a scout in high school. Now that I think about it, who told a story of some guy who wanted to improve his arm back in the thirties or forties. and. Uh, he would stand in center field and take a bucket of balls and try to throw it over the backstop from, you know, dead center so, <laughs> that you're hurling the ball. If you can do that, there are some yeah. guns out in the world who can do that, you know, stand at home plate and throw it into, into the outfield uh, stands. That wasn't me, but I did. I did say to myself, huh, well, that's a formula. I may try that. I didn't until I got to college. And then I met somebody there who was the, at the time, the pitching coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. His name was Mike. Ruark or Rourke. And Mike um, was a catcher in his day, a minor league catcher, and he showed me some stuff. And so then I combined the two and I did get my bucket of balls in the summertime, solo in the heat of Virginia. And I loved it. And I would just go out there by myself at the local high school, throw the balls from center field, go pick them up, do another round, pick them up, then throw as a catcher, you know, get at home plate put it like a bag a bag on top of second base, try to hit it a bunch of times. And I did that, I'd say every other day, the entire summer. And when I came back to school in the fall, um, I was, you know, getting on the field with the team for the first time. And I threw the ball and the coach looked at me. He's like, he's like, Foxy. He was just chewing his tobacco. You know, he just couldn't even speak. He's like, that's a great throw, great throw. And because he was just seeing that I had changed. I had done something different mm-hmm. and he had not seen that before out of me. And so, you know, the great lesson there is, you know, be aware of what, what a state of your body or mind might be. <laughs> Get a plan, execute it, and uh, enjoy the fruits of it. Yeah. Was, was there ever a time after you stopped playing baseball that you resented the game or didn't like the game or, mm. um, or was there always a, a positive look towards baseball and your playing career? Hmm. That is a great question. You know, I, I think I still have a little bit of a negative, uh, tinge about the game and not because of my state in the game. I think that I hark back for days when it was less regimented, less industrialized. Um, mm-hmm. I'm speaking a lot of the kids, you know, less travel teams. In fact, there was no such thing 
maybe there was a travel team, you know, when I was around. Uh, I don't think so. Um, and I, I look at it now as hmm, perhaps a, a disrespect of the individual. I mean, what I mean is that there's not as much uh, figuring things out on one's own, you know, at, go to the, go to the field with your buddy, you know, I used to go out there with my friends, just two couple guys and we would no coaching, nothing, just go out there, throw, hit, talk. And I don't see a lot of that anymore. What I see more is um, structured stuff of batting lessons and travel teams and a lot of adult interaction. And I, I see that a lot less happy people in the game, yeah, these mm. kids. Um, yeah, you could say they're playing better these days. Maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, and I'm disappointed um, in that regard. The game itself, I think, is amazing. There's something magical about baseball. It's just, you know, I used to use this quote long ago. I'll keep using it. Sparky Anderson once said it was the greatest game ever created by mankind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, we'll go with that, Sparky. Thank you. Yeah. I I have a lot of feelings on on what you just said about sort of youth youth baseball, excuse me, about youth baseball, youth sports. Um and I tend to agree with you. You know, I coach a, a 15U team right now and I think at that age, right, when they're about to get into they're in high school and they're moving in that direction, like it can get it can ramp up to become a little bit more serious. But when I was with the 12-year-old team, I saw eight, nine, and 10-year-old teams where it was way too serious, mm. way too serious. Like, I don't understand at that point why there's rankings, why there's showcases, why you're yeah. traveling for tournament. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? At this age, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, you're trying to have a young person fall in love with something like yeah. baseball isn't always fun like we know that from playing it for a long time but if you fall in love with the game at eight nine ten because you're watching the major leagues you're watching college baseball you're going out and play with your friends even though you're not very good at it you're like i just love it like and then when you do get to a serious point in your life maybe when you're 15 and 16 you're trying to try out for varsity and things don't go the way you want them to go, you're still going to keep going because you've already had this past three or four or five years where you just fell in love with the game. But if it yeah. becomes a job, quote unquote, when you're eight years old, you're done. You're done. You're finished by 11. Also because your parents are taking it too seriously. Everyone's taking it too seriously. And then you're, you're someone who just doesn't want to play the game anymore. And that's a, that's a tragedy for kids to fall out of youth sports before they're even at the age of 13. That's a tragedy for, for everyone, for our whole civilization, for the lessons that could be learned, for the teamwork, the communication, the cooperation, not just be, being good at a sport. That's like the least important thing. But like all the other things that you can get, the, the intangible aspects uh, of playing youth sport. And I think that has to be overemphasized way more than how many teams can I create for my organization so we can make more money, so we can go to more tournaments, so we can hire shitty coaches who don't even care about their kids who are transactional rather than transformational and all of these things. And like, 
and so, and then it goes back to this idea that Jonathan Haidt writes in his book, The uh, Coddling of the American Mind, where he talks about the reason kids have the mental health issues that they do is because they have too much structured play, just like you talked about. That's mm -hmm. like the number one thing. And so if we can have unstructured play where they just go out and they play kickball or they play spike ball or they grab a ball and they throw it around or they do whatever, like we tried to do that when we had 12 and 13 year olds. We tried to just say, hey, this is where you go play crazy baseball. You run the ball in different, you ride the bases in different directions. You go play flag football mm -hmm. and we're not involved. Just go have fun, be yourself. And then you actually, what you see from these kids is that they're such good athletes. They can move and they can, they have agility and they, they can create teams and they have captains and there's a leader and like, you're not doing anything. And then you put them in a game setting and you, you know, as a mental skills coach, you know that you want them to play that way, that free, that loose, uh, that energetic. And so these things start to happen as you move in that direction. And so, um, you know, just like anything in, in our world, it gets taken over by how much money can you make? but. Yeah. With youth sports, yeah. we're talking about our little people, our kids who are, who are going to take over the world. Like, we can treat them better. We really can, you know? Well, we, you're right, man. There's so much in here. Gosh, the, I think that, um, first off, I've, I, I, I've been on, been coaching youth sports. Um, I'm not an active coach anymore. Uh, but I started when I was a teenager, believe it or not, because my dad was a, enthusiast of coaching youth sports he coached football and baseball and so i would be his assistant coach and i'd be coaching kids that were you know a year or two younger than me <laughs> and and uh continued to do that even before i had i had kids before i was married just continued to coach and there is a marked noticeable difference between the kids of those of that era and this would be you know late 80s 90s you know even early 80s and um both physically and otherwise i'll give you something on the physical because even though i i like to specialize in the non-physical things of the mental and emotional and spiritual things here the body is important and there's been a great degradation of the body over the past um and you can fill in the blank on that one, you know, even 10 years, but 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I'm not the first one to say this back in the, in the, I think it was in the sixties, they were having studies saying, why aren't our kids like they were in the forties? And so this has been going on for quite a while and there's lots of reasons. But to my point, one measure of that was when we have a kid, a team of 20 kids, let's say on a football team, maybe like two or three just couldn't do a good push-up or cl even close to it and just didn't have the requisite strength to do that. Now it is reversed. If you have 20 kids, you'll have two or three that can do a good push-up. And so we've had a big, big problem here. And then you heap on the expectations through, you know, playing baseball in any sport almost year round, you know, uh, definitely for baseball, we've got a spring, summer, fall mentality these days all around the country. And if these kids don't have the physical tools to move in kind of basic human movement patterns, we'll call them. And we can, you know, I'm going into a different rabbit hole on this one, but it's important. Then they are going to have problems in baseball and they're going to get injured and they're going to have, you know, mental anguish, uh, along, alongside of that. And so we really are mind, body, spirit, um, and it's important for us as coaches to use the sport as a platform, right? So back to what you said is like we got 
coaches who are really just teaching baseball, trying to get the best baseball skills. And that's insufficient at any level. You know, back to uh, University of Maryland. Oh, he understands this so beautifully. You can just see it, that it goes well beyond baseball. And uh, that requires another set of tools and experiences for coaches. And then, um, yeah, the unstructured stuff. Oh, boy, how important. And, uh, you know, we're living in kind of a, a fear-based world right now. And so as a parent, you know, how many of you are, are willing to let your kids go outside for hours at a time and not know where they are? And I, I caught the tail end of that. Um, when I was a kid, we did used to do that, do that. And until one day, I don't know what happened, but my mom got scared and, you know, she came looking for us all around the neighborhood in just kind of a, a panic almost, as I remember. And now here's the funny thing after that. It's not like we couldn't go out anymore. It was just that we had to leave a note as to where we were going. <laughs> we still got to go out and do and for hours without parents around or any adults. And that just does not happen these days. Almost never do I see um, kids walking around the neighborhood like we used to in a, in a you know, group of us going out into the woods and throwing rocks and doing stuff that, you know, parents don't want you to do. But that is exactly what kids should be doing because it allows for all of these neurons and, you know, things and spiritual connections with the woods and all this stuff to happen. And it is going around. Uh, I'll be quiet in one moment here, but it is going on in other parts of the world. You know, if you go into Europe, I think it's in Denmark, especially, they have schools that are um, outdoor-based schools. And they give kids, um, this would be like in the the Rudolf Steiner um, Waldorf schools in Europe, at least, they give kids tools like a knife and a shovel. And they say, hey, you're 10 years old. You're going to go build a fort or you're going to build something that we need, you know, make it a real practical um, experience for them. And uh, I know you've talked about it before that we, need, we as humans, we need a purpose, you know. So yeah. I said a lot there. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I specifically brought you on to hear you say a lot of things. So it's, oh, good. Good. it's all good. Um, but speaking of coaches, like I think um, coaches have, they do have a hard time. So I, I, w I don't want to uh, single out the coaches, right? Because all coaches have a ton mm -hmm. going on. Like, you know, before strength and conditioning, before uh, there was PT, before there was mental skills, like the head coach did everything. He was all things. He was the yeah. speed and agility. He was the personal trainer. He was the coordinator. He was the recruiter. He was everything. And I get that. So that's really hard. And a lot of coaches who've been coaching for a really long time still have that sort of mentality. Oh yeah. And I get when things are your baby, you don't want to delegate because you feel like that person you give it to is not going to give the same effort that you're giving. And I totally get that. I feel a lot that with, with relinquishing some stuff with this podcast and allowing people to sort of edit and do things I'm like, <laughs> you know, but like it has to happen because I have to be able to give my full self to the thing that it's actually important, which is the conversation or whatever the case or the coach you're like interacting with his players. Right. And so now it's come along where you can, you can have all these different pieces and I get it all costs money. I, I understand it all costs money. If you're not at a big program, it's tough. But now specifically in youth sports, it's sort of up to the parent like to maybe find ways to to have these other things in their life. But the coach has to 
have a broad enough scope because there's no excuse now to not to learn all of these things, to learn a little bit of the mental vocabulary, to learn a little bit of how to teach confidence or how to be calm or these things, right? There's no excuse. And there's also people like you who will come in and just help. Mm -hmm. Like they'll do it. There are tons of people who just want to help, not for a yeah. bunch of money, not for any money. They just want to help and they want to help you and they want to help this. And the coach has to be willing to broaden his horizon to be able to bring people in to best help his kids. Um, and so there's really no excuse anymore. The coach who has to do all things, who has to wear all hats and all buckets no longer exists. You specialize in a certain aspect, but you have a broad enough horizon to be able to reinforce some of the things that your experts are teaching your kids. So if my mental skills coach is teaching how to breathe, how to get back into the present moment, I'm reinforcing those skills because I also learn from them as well. And so it's a conjunction of everything. And I think coaches, especially at higher levels, youth is a little bit different. It's a lot of varying different parts and there's a lot of parent involvement. But at higher levels, um, I think that's what has to take part. And coaches have to... Um, they have to they have to be willing to do that work um because that's for the betterment of their athletes, not just the ones who are gonna play pro, but the ones who are gonna be fathers and salesmen and entrepreneurs and all these other things that majority of athletes go into once their playing careers are over. Yeah, man. I like I like this so much. Um to have a broad um scope. Yeah, that was your words. That's important. Um and we we don't have to be deep. You know, we can have uh, just a little bit, and sometimes that's all you need. I just had somebody, he's actually, a, he's a grown man, he's about my age, and he saw me at the at the at that event at the University of Maryland, and he said, yeah, Scott, I'm still doing that uh, five-minute routine that you told me about, you know, a few years ago. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> and he's, but it made an impact on something, uh, somebody, and that's important, and that's all it is for these coaches, too, a youth coach. Man, if you just have one tool, I am very serious, and just use that tool over and over. Um, for one thing, you'll get great at it. You know, it's the old thing of don't fear the man with ten thousand kicks. You want to fear the man who has one kick, practice ten thousand times, and so you can just master something. Maybe it's going to be, you know, how to breathe through your left nostril or your right nostril. Whatever. I'm very serious, and just go with that, and your kids will remember that forever. Um, and then, yeah, to your point of bring people in, there's no excuse. You know, there's content galore out there. So, I mean, sometimes that's a mm -hmm. problem. It's like you feel overwhelmed. You don't know who to trust and all that. Just take a little bit at a time, you know, and you'll, you'll recognize a voice of somebody that feels right to you and just go with that. And then, you know, it'll be a stepping stone to more things. And that's what I did. It was just a gateway to changed my life <laughs> in terms of what I like to, to read about, what I like to do. And um, we still have some work to do. I'm glad that you do this with your team, your teams, Aaron, which is to incorporate overtly uh, some type of awareness training, mental training, emotional training um, in the practice. So we've talked about this, just like you would have a batting station, we're going to have the emotion station. You know, we're going to practice what it feels like to um, be up. We've won. What does that feel like? And even what does the word feel? You know, that word is used so many times, it's lost its meaning. And I have to remind my clients, 
and I'll say, how do you feel? When we, they'll bring up an issue, I say, how do you feel? What do you, I say, what do you feel? And they'll say, well, I feel happy about that. I say, no, that's not a feeling. <laughs> your feeling is a sensation in your body. You know, just teaching that concept to kids of, hey, we just had a disappointment. What is it that you feel? And they may say sad again. It's like, well, that's an emotion. But what do you feel in your body? Oh, yeah, I feel my heart feels like it has a weight on it or there's a knot in my stomach. Oh, man. If you're a coach and you're listening and you just teach somebody how to feel into their body, you are a genius and you have changed society because I promise you, you will change that person's life. When we don't acknowledge our body, we're missing out on the opportunity to really be fully human. And we're risking that that, in the case of a negative, negative experience or quote negative, um, that it will stick in the body because that's how it works. And if we don't process it through, they don't let it have its natural life of feeling it for 90 seconds, they say, then um, the body will, not necessarily will, but it can hold on to it and resurface later on in the form of loss of performance in sports and, um, you know, kind of dysfunctional human behavior that we see all the time. And again, I'm not perfect. Uh, I still have those as well. What would you what would you do next after you got an athlete to recognize the feeling of having a pit in his stomach or um you know that feeling of uh his heart being really heavy after disappointment um where would you go to next Yeah so it depends on the situation but in general um I like to use my favorite tool because it works <laughs> And when I say it works, what is it? Uh, so EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques, also known as tapping. Um, this is a really amazing tool that I've been working with for 15 years. And I'm certified in the use of this. And uh, it is clinically studied. And that's the funny thing is that, you know, humans, we are great at creating solutions. And EFT is one of them. It's been around for about 35 years. We're not so great at implementing things that even though they've been proven to be helpful. And so with EFT, there's over 120 clinical trials showing that it is um, effective and kind of a, produces the same results as cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the gold standard of psychology, except it does it at a much faster rate. Uh, I've seen a study that showed it taking 15 sessions of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's traditional things that psychologists use, to affect a measurable change or significantly measurable change in anxiety in a person versus three sessions of EFT, the tools that I use. So as sports people, hey, we always want the best practices, the best drills, etc. And I view this in the same way, which is this is more effective for more people, laster, lasts longer, so call it more enduring than traditional therapy. Why aren't we using this all over the place? And it is growing, uh, still not mainstream. And so as a coach, I would do that. Um, I would also just simply take a moment if somebody could feel that thing on their heart. And I'd say, hey, let's just sit there. And I want you to, either with your eyes open or your eyes closed, just bring your awareness into the center of your heart. 
And let's just sit there and breathe for the next 30 seconds. And we'll do that. And what does that do? Well, it's been shown that if you can just let something be inside of you for a bit, um, it helps it to, I don't know what the right words are, we'll say process or dissipate or have its life of its own, you know, get soaked into you, et cetera. Um, it's when we ignore it that we run the risk of a block. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about what, what tapping is and why it works? Yeah, definitely. So tapping is, it's called tapping is its nickname because we are using our fingers to kind of tap on specific points that are meridian endpoints. So in the meridian world or the world of acupuncture, you've gone, if you've gone to a, an acupuncturist, you've probably seen a chart on the wall. There are lines going down the you know, person uh, on the chart. Those are the meridians. And in the ancient world of you know, Chinese medicine, they would say that life force, life energy flows through those meridians. It's important to keep them moving. All of that, I don't, I'm not an expert in, and that's the fun of EFT. I don't have to be. I don't need to have any knowledge of that stuff at all. I find it kind of fascinating um, that it has its ancient roots like that. But really, it is a mechanical process that helps us to quickly rewire around a situation that our system, call it brain, body, um, may perceive as negative, especially those ones that have stuck with us for a long time. Okay. So when we're tapping, um, you do it enough and enough is just a subjective word here. Um, it's different for everybody. We can quickly shift the neurotransmitters in our body, uh, to ones that are associated with feeling good. So when we have a negative experience or a negative memory of something that happened in the past, we recall it, our subconscious may recall it, and all of a sudden, like you said, the heart may, the heart may beat like crazy. It's giving us a signal, ah, we're in danger here. And the reality is really not, really not in danger. Nothing what we do. You know, standing in front of 50,000 people playing baseball is not, is not a danger. You know, they, they can't hurt you. But we perceive it as such. So there's a reason that we do. This is because somewhere in our life, we were programmed to fear, fill in the blank, judgment, probably. You know, if not judgment, it's, um, I don't know, could be a specific situation that happened in your life where large groups of people, you were embarrassed. Who knows? And the, and the good news out of all of this when using tapping is that we do not have to be um, like a, uh, a therapist. In fact, I want to make this clear. This is not therapy. And this is, we are doing something to help reduce the negative charge around an old memory or, or an existing situation. Now, it may produce the same results as therapy, which is awesome. Um, but when we're doing this, we're, we're um, changing programming that's inside of us. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. So what does that, again, what does that mean? Um, let's say you've got a kid who all of a sudden is in a slump and people would classically say, well, go take some more swings or, you know, it's okay, breathe, relax. And those are nice things to do, but sometimes it's just insufficient. And it's insufficient because um, that would be kind of like the software playing on top, okay? We're a computer, we've got some software going, um, and we can try to tweak that software, but if the operating system underneath of it is defective, 
it doesn't matter what the software is. So the putting the hand on the back, padding and breathing, that's software. And underneath of it, we've got a broken operating system. The tapping gets to the operating system. And that's why I love to use it. It's so simple. It's so powerful. And the operating system is this deep programming that we were, um, depends who you, who you want to follow here. Either we brought into the world karmically or we adopted or we got inserted into us starting when we're inside of our mothers. We're picking up our mother's vibrations um, on fear and, and happiness and all these sorts of things. And that gets transmitted into us. And that continues to happen when we become outside of our mothers, uh, when we are especially ages zero to six. Our brain waves at that point are like an adult who's hypnotized. And we've seen that before, you know, hey, you're a chicken at the count of three. And they will cluck like a chicken. Well, kids are kind of the same way, is that they are great at absorbing information. Amazing. They are those sponges that people call. What they're not yet capable of doing because their brains aren't ready is to contextualize it in a way that makes sense. And so they can take in tons of information and sometimes it'll just get created into these, you know, wacky uh, perceptions that it may not be reality to people outside. But to that kid, that's reality. And we carry those into our adulthood. And that's the thing that I'd like to work with myself and others with is how can we, how can we get those programs that are no longer serving us out of the way and then insert ones that do serve us? And one more thing on the science of this, because Please. this is very, very science-oriented uh, technique is that there is a little electrical signal that gets created when we tap on the human body. Whether it's you know this kind of tapping, it looks, and again, it looks like this, very gentle, or it's Qigong, where people are really beaten on themselves. There gets created uh, an electrical signal called a piezoelectric signal. And that is essentially taking mechanical energy and converting it into electrical energy. And if you've ever seen this uh, cool experiment where in the dark you crush some quartz, the quartz will release light when you crush it. That's what we're talking about here. So you're taking mechanical energy, converting it into uh, electrical energy, and that electrical energy travels through the fascia and all, the, all of our uh, you know, body movement and body appreciation geeks who are listening to this you know, the fascia also keeps our muscles um, in it. It's a net, keeps us kind of vertical, allows us to be structured. It's also a communications network, which is fascinating. Um, it, almost, it has a crystalline structure and it allows the electrical signal to travel through the body as we're tapping and get to the amygdala in the back of our brain that houses both the emotions and memories. And so as we engage in an old memory of being scared of something, it's like opening the gateway, allowing that electrical signal into there, and it, it wraps itself around that, we'll call it that mm, node of neural pathways associated with that old memory, and there's something very soothing about that to the brain. And so we've got the juxtaposition of an old negative experience being soothed with this electrical signal, and now all of a sudden, the chemistry around that issue changes, meaning instead of cortisol being pumped through our body, we're getting serotonin and GABA and other hormones that make us feel good. And 
the cool thing. Let's keep the chain going. So the, the energy is changing the chemistry. Then the chemistry changes our biology so that we actually can grow cells in our body now that are in a, an environment of feel-good transmitters, feel-good chemistry. And that's very different than having cells growing in an environment of stress, cortisol. So for an athlete, back to being a coach again, you can help your team play better, <laughs> feel better, and heal better, recover better, if we can just induce this kind of chemical change through this mechanical action. Yeah, so there's a lot there too. <laughs> One more thing on that is that this, this, this technique is, is mechanical. It is not about a belief system. I do believe that mindsets are a great tool to have. They're very important. However, this t technique that I just described, I keep showing here, is not about a belief system or any kind of mindset. You could just sit there. In fact, I do this sometimes during the day and just do this. You know, and after, again, enough minutes, there will be a chemical shift and you will be able to feel it in yourself. You'll just be more relaxed. Now, when it comes to this specific technique, you think this is something that an athlete could do in the midst of a game? Or is this specifically for post-performance, say after maybe a hard loss or a tough game? Or could this be done specifically for a baseball player in between at-bats or in the dugout, maybe after a bad at-bat or a bad error? Or could it potentially be done on the field or there's not enough time there? What's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love this question. It is actually a, it's any time. And so in, in the world of physical training, there's a guy, Dr. Charlie Weingroff, and he, he, he patented or he perfected a saying of performance equals rehab and rehab equals performance. He's a doctor of physical therapy. And he's basically saying, you know, hey, look, you're going to do the same kind of exercises um, in his view for performance as you are for rehab. And if you're, work, if you're trying to get re rehabbed, you're going to do the same things as you do for performance. You know, it's just this continuum. And same thing with the tapping technique is let's use it for um, kind of preparing to play. So pre-game, um, pre-pre-game, meaning in your house, in your hotel room or whatever, wherever you are, you can do this. As you're driving through traffic, if you're a coach and, you know, you're sitting, you're, you're aggravated, just sit at the traffic light and start to tap. You know, just do it anytime, any place. Then, yeah, you're in game and something happens. And I would maintain that it should be used not just for when something goes wrong, but also for when something goes right. And the reason I say that is that there are people out there, and I might have been one of them um, as a player, where if things go really well, you're thinking, well, they can't continue. Can't, can't keep going good like this. Uh, and that might be a very deep subconscious thought. So, hey, you just hit two home runs. Might be, I might just be like, hey, just hit two home runs, you know? And, and what you're saying is, yeah, I'm acknowledging I just had success. And guess what? I'm okay with success. You know, we're getting that. And then after the game, yeah, absolutely. I would do the same thing, which is um, it could look like sitting around as a team. And I, like, I love this spot for just tapping and talking. And just saying, yeah, um, we did a great job out there today on some things, um, some other things not. And I'd say to people, um, 
what um what were some of the challenges that you saw out there what didn't you like and some player might say i know i struck out three times uh, okay got it what else you know oh you know i got distracted by my parents in the stands and i i knew i was not supposed to do that all right great and just keep going through that and as we are acknowledging that those things that we like and don't like and tapping again it's just sending a signal to our mind body system that all this stuff it's okay yeah yeah that's amazing that's amazing because really it's helping you (laughs) it is yeah yeah i mean i mean i like that part where you said about you know you can do it no matter what after a good thing after a bad thing which really reinforces this idea of focusing on your process because I do this thing no matter what because it's part of my routine. In between pitches, I do this no matter what if I made a good throw or a bad throw because my I know what my routine is. I know what my process is. I'm focused on the execution of my process rather than the end result of that. Um, And I do it no matter what. If I strike out three times, okay. Or if I hit three home runs. Now, there's some stuff in there that you know, probably needs to be tweaked, but that's more about your yep. approach and things like that, not about you as a person. And then you can look at your process. Did you um, have the same routine today? Did you get enough sleep? Like all of that stuff is important, but thinking about what to do, you know, in between innings, you have a routine in between innings, especially if you're a pitcher, right? No matter how you did or how you didn't do, this could be part of your routine to center yourself, to keep yourself calm, to get yourself back into the present moment, all of that stuff. And so, <clears throat> Because, you know, a lot of the stuff with with mental skills is invisible. It's like, you know, do these sort of esoteric things and they'll help you. This is like a physical action that could be benefit you almost immediately, like within two minutes. It's pretty immediate, I would say, because that's right. You know, no other thing in sport where you can get results in two minutes. You got to. Whoa. Go to the cages for six years before you figure out how to hit a ball, you know? So right. Like, <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. Um, and you've got on a couple things that I want to highlight, uh, if I can remember them. <laughs> One is that the tapping process um, is mechanical and visible. So while I love meditation and I meditate daily myself, um, and I've taught kids to meditate, the challenge with that is you don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> when they're meditating. Um, I think at the very least, if they're just sitting there kind of relaxed, that's a good thing. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's perfectly fine. Um, with the tapping, you can see that they are doing it. And unless they are some guru who's absolutely trying to use their human consciousness to block the effect, the positive effects of this tapping, you can be guaranteed that they are getting positive effects. And I want to say that again, is that you know, it is a mechanical process, meaning we are simply touching our body in these certain ways. And they've done blood work before and after on people. And it is like double digit changes to the positive on the neurochemistry associated with our, our feeling good. And so as a coach, it takes the heat off of you. You don't have to have any, you know, cognitive strategies to use with your kids on this. If you're this coach who's in the youth sports world, you're doing everything. You may not even have an assistant. You just want to keep it simple and powerful. And my filter that I like to use on things is I want to bring this stuff to my clients that are um, at best life-changing and at worst a benign use of time. 
And this is definitely in that wheelhouse, except it's not a benign use of, of time. It's actually all positive because it's been shown clinically studied. You know, even the federal government has approved the use of it for the treatment of veterans with PTSD in the VA hospital system. Federal government's slow, <laughs> very slow to accept new things. And after 15 years of lobbying by the group that certified me, it is now an approved technique for this. By the way, way better technique than the system that the, or the VA hospital system uses. And um, I hope that there will be more and more practitioners who will use this totally drug-free, you know, no-cost kind of techniques to help people as opposed to solely relying on pharmaceuticals and talk therapy, which is what the VA hospital system has done in the past. To their credit, they are starting to look at new things like um, plant medicine and um, other leading edge techniques that I probably need to do some more research on before I speak on them. But um, getting easy to use, powerful tools in the hand, hands of non-degreed people is the future of mental health delivery systems in the United States. And that's not my words. That's the words of professor of the head of clinical psychology at University of Virginia, where I live. Okay. So those who are in the know recognize that licensed mental health care professionals, they are not going to be the answer. It's a numbers game. You just, we've outstripped the supply of, of man hours with the demand of mental health issues out there. Again, if there's young coaches of youth sports, know that the National Institute of Mental Health says that between 40 and 60% of all adolescents and young adults, and that's up to age 25, can be diagnosed with a mental health issue. <laughs> there's, there's eight and a half million high school athletes. There's another half a million of college athletes, nine million kids. And I'm sorry to say that there's studies out there that have shown that athletes are more susceptible to anxiety and depression than the general population. So let's stay on this upper end of that 40 and 60%. It's 60% of, of, of 9 million. It's almost 5.5 million kids that need help. And one third of the count counties in the United States don't even have one licensed psychologist. We've got ourselves a problem. And I challenge, you know, when I get to be on stage, and I appreciate this stage here, I challenge coaches to say, if you think that your institution or your league or whoever is going to solve this mental health crisis that's in America, think again. It's going to be you. <laughs> you or somebody like you who are going to be able to have daily access to kids, or at least frequent access, and to do something, and something that's powerful. And that's why I really like to champion uh, tapping, because it's easy and powerful. There are other techniques. I love it if somebody was teaching meditation and even relaxation, body awareness, all that stuff really matters. So um, thank you for letting me get on my, my rant. Well, of course. I mean, that's basically in a nutshell, you know, what you're doing with your company champion playbook, you know, um, trying to incorporate mental health in a sports-driven, performance-driven world where I think that if we can make mental health, let's say, a little sexier, I think, yeah. that we can frame it in a way where it's not for people who are sick 
yes, of course, you know, people have mental health conditions and all that other stuff, um, you know, for a different chat. But non non mental health is not for the crazy, for the depressed. It's for the person who just wants to feel and be their best. And if we can get out in front of it, like you're talking about, and be a little more proactive and encourage these skills at like seventh and eighth and ninth grade, then there's just a better chance for these kids who get into sports or not to have a better grasp on handling and recovering from mistakes, how to feel calm in the moment when they have something big happening, a test, a conversation, a job interview, um, all of these skills. What can I do in the moment to be less overwhelmed, to get back into the present moment, to help me? How can I armor myself with these skills? And then, you know, the big life stuff happens, death, um, sickness, all of this stuff. Okay, now can I handle those a little bit better because I have these prerequisite skills? That's all really what we're talking about. And kids in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, they're not, like, they're capable of learning this stuff. Simply mm -hmm. learning, okay, I can do this, I can do this, I can take a yeah. deep breath in through my nose and out through my mouth, I can feel my body, I can write stuff down to get it out of my brain and onto a sheet of paper. Okay. That I can that makes sense. I can I understand that. Now if they do it is another thing, but at least we're giving them some tools. You know, what I've learned is that people will do it, they'll try it, but then two or three years down the road, they'll be like, Oh that's what he was talking about. And then they'll start <laughs> doing it over and over again. But at least they have the information inside of them to pick out when they need to. And that's why I appreciate, you know, the work that you're trying to do and are doing. Um, you know, it's, it's not an easy task by any means, but I, I'm glad that we're in a community, you know, you and I, that a lot of people are, are championing this sort of work. Um, and it's, it's cool to see because, you know, I've been doing this sort of idea for, for five years now and the shift is, is, is crazy good. We still have a lot of work to do, but we have to recognize that we've come a long way. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example of that. Um, first off, two things, if anybody does, does not believe that, you know, this type of, of work would be beneficial for kids in school or in life. Just look at the work that um, David Lynch, I believe I got his name correct, he was a Hollywood director long ago, had a, had a series that was popular called Twin Peaks. And he is interested in meditation. He brought meditation to like the tough schools of Chicago, you know, South Side Chicago, and uh, predominantly minority uh, kids there, low income. And got this program instituted where they meditate every day in, in school. Lo and behold, all the results, you know, went in the positive direction. And I'm, I'm being a little, you know, jaded here and uh, sarcastic. Uh, but I just want everyone to know that it can be done. It can be done. You just have to have somebody who believes in it and just be that person. And yep, you're going to get made fun of it by others at some time. So what, you know, and if you are, you know, then you can tap on that <laughs> or breathe into your body or whatever you need to do. And that's just part of the journey. And um, yeah, the last five years, definitely big change. So, uh, you know, when I first started, I was timid talking about it. It's like, uh, I did this weird stuff, you know, as a traditional sport coach and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I just recognized that it started to work and I started to talk more and more. And now I tell anybody who I, you know, <laughs> I can. And they always say, oh, that's cool. Some people are ready for it. Some people are not. And an example of that is at this American Baseball Coaches event. Um, after I was introduced ad hoc, which was so kind of the gentleman who ran the show. And he's like, oh, I wonder if, you know, Scott Fox is in the audience. He really is amazing with this technique called tapping. And he can help your players, you know, deal with slumps and 
you know, just life in general. And I had about four or five coaches come up to me afterwards and chatted about it. And I thought, that's really cool. And two observations. One is that that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. You know, they just, they, I wouldn't have been introduced. Um, they, this guy in up front probably wouldn't have been comfortable saying this guy does tapping. And then the other coaches, they weren't, wouldn't have been ready, at least five of them. Now, the other side of it is, so five out of 100, um, 95% still really were not interested. <laughs> and I just have to accept that they're not quite there yet. Not Try not to judge it too harshly, you know, because I'm sure there was a time I wasn't there either. I know there was a time. By the way, I'm, I was very skeptical of all of this 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I just looked at it. I thought, this is just crazy. It's a rip, rip off. You know, all this stuff was coming up. I was getting triggered by things. And um, now things are different. And I appreciate what you are teaching your young people, Aaron, and other coaches too. There's some amazing coaches out there. So uh, hopefully the, ne- the next five years will be even more dynamic. And I know they will. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to touch on one more thing um, that I think is important before I let you go. And that's the work that you and a couple of colleagues are doing uh, for the Ukraine folks. Could you, could you talk about that? Yeah. Thank you so much. I love this work. It is a pro bono effort called Pure. That's providing Ukrainian resilience and empowerment. We started doing this work about 18 months ago. Um, and my, my colleagues actually started right as the war began, which unfortunately we're coming up on two years in February. And, um, we use the same techniques that I use with athletes with Ukrainians. And so we jump on a Zoom call every other Friday now. And this is on a, uh, there's a Facebook group where if anybody is listening and actually just wants to observe where we've had guests to come look at us before. And um, we jump on a Zoom call. It's usually a small group of Ukrainians, usually eight or under. And they um, often are repeat people. In fact, as a core, you just they're all in. They come every single time. And we do, I'd say, about 20 minutes of sharing. And so they get to voice what's on their minds and their hearts those days. And we have a translator. Uh, one of my colleagues is a professional translator in Ukraine, and she speaks multiple languages. She speaks uh, Russian, um, obviously English, German, French. I think that's her bailiwick right now. And it's a fascinating thing. And, you know, um, I'll get back to the fascinating thing in a moment here. But after the, the sharing piece, we'll do tapping. And the, to see my translator in particular, tapping and translating, and then having somebody in Ukraine tapping as they tune into their body, listening to my words being translated, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And it's not just the process that's beautiful. It is results as well. These people are under, I mean, stress is too pale a word. What do you you feel when you have rockets um, going over your apartment building, you know, killing people in your town? And the fear for your child's life, you you need tools is <laughs> such an understatement. And so we provide this tool of tapping and we do some breath work with them as well. And um, looking to help more people. If we have any listener who knows a Ukrainian or is just simply interested in what we're doing and would like to learn it themselves so they can help people, 
I hope you will reach out to me or reach out to Aaron and he'll contact me. And uh, I'm in touch with some amazing people around the world now trying to, who are also trying to help um, many people around the world. I'll, I'll confine it to Ukraine for now. Um, and if anybody's out there listening and wants to join that band of like-minded people who are doing this kind of pro bono work, man, I hope you'll reach out. Yeah. And also yeah, one you, more Scott. thing on this, because I, I, I love what we started with, which is that sports should be more than just the game. It's like at the end of the day, how did this little league coach do trauma relief work for the Ukrainians? And I love that journey for myself. It's not over. I don't know what I'll end up being and doing in the future. I think, though, that it is just a great statement that anybody can do this. You know, you can use sports as a platform to help yourself, help the world. The only issue is, do you want to? <laughs> and if you, if you can think about it and say, yeah, I want to, I just feels too overwhelming. That's okay. It's the what that's important now. Just know what you want out of the sports. Don't worry about the how. The how will take place. You know, let the universe take place. Let God, let spirit, whatever it is you want to say, take control of that. It's the what piece that's the most important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Thank you um, for your time, your attention, your effort, your energy. Um, where should people go if they do want to reach out? Well, thank you. And I appreciate that. So presently, I, um, I do have in individual clients. I work with individual athletes of all ages um, and post-athletes. I'm working with somebody right now who's a former professional athlete and just has some life issues. And that's great too. So if anybody would like to um, work on something like that, or if you are a uh, a team-oriented person, either you're a coach, general manager, et cetera. I work with coaches too. I've had the pleasure of working at the university level before with coaching staffs and players, and I, lo I love that as well. And I can be reached via my website, which is the, as in T-H-E, championplaybook.com. My email address, you can come directly to me, is scott at coachscottfox.com. I'm also on Instagram at coach underscore Scott underscore Fox. And I'm on LinkedIn. Um, appreciate it very much, Aaron. Thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. All those oh, are uh... one more plug. I'm yeah, sorry. One more plug here is uh, I was invited to speak December 15th uh, for the Virginia Baseball Coaches Association. And I will be speaking on the favorite topics here of sport performance meets mental health. And so if anybody's here in Virginia, it's going to be in Fairfax. And uh, if you look it up online, you'll get all the information you need. Beautiful. Love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, everything linked in the, in the show notes below. Um, Scott, thank you, man. Glad we're connected and happy to see you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for tuning into that episode with Scott Fox. What idea stood out or resonated with you most deeply that you could start implementing into your life today? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you.
And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbitz directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. But most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.